Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Our text, uh, again this morning, is uh, from Acts 20, uh, picking up in verse 17, going through 38. But we're going to focus on 25 through 38 today. But as we come to the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand what He's saying to us. Let's pray. Living Word of God, come now. Bring forth your message for our lives, and that which is about to be read and preached. May your word bless, heal, and restore us, for we are, as Isaiah said, a needy people. Your word is the only light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And in this we rejoice, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Acts 20, picking up in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, said, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Kids, fifth grade and below, you can come up and join me. And that proves that we are very precious to him. And so we are God's blood-bought lambs. That's you. You're his blood-bought lamb. But you know something Paul says? Paul says in that same passage that there are wolves that want to hurt us. And, and even sometimes from inside the church itself, the, there are people who will say things that would actually lead us away from God instead of toward him. And, and so what chance does a little lamb have against a wolf? A wolf like that one over there behind me? The, this wolf that is attacking me? <laughs> the lamb doesn't have much of a chance. And so what does a lamb need? A lamb needs a shepherd to protect it, right? Now, Jesus is a good shepherd, but, but while Jesus isn't here right now, he has given helper shepherds uh, called elders to take care of God's lambs and to protect them. But do you know how they protect God's lambs? Well, the trick is to know how the wolves are attacking. The wolves, they don't attack with their teeth. They attack with their words. Paul says that they use twisted words to lead people away from God, lying words about God and, and about us. That's their weapons. And so if they use twisted words as weapons to attack us, what do you think Jesus' elders ought to use to protect the flock and to help them? What do you think? If they use words... Truthful words. Yes, elders need true words. Actually, God's own words to protect God's sheep as well as to feed them and to make them strong. And, and then the wolves won't be able to lead you, God's lovely lambs, away. Because God's truth reveals the enemy's lies. His truth sends those wolves away like this. God's word. God's Word tells us the truth about how much He loves us and what He has done for us in Jesus. He tells us what it means to live and to work as His people today. We, we listen to Him and we take God at His Word. And His Word grows us and protects us. And, and because you and I have a God who always tells us the truth to take care of us, 
That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. Well, please do turn in your Bibles uh, again, if, if you haven't already, to this passage from Acts 20. This whole section that we have been in for a, a few weeks now, verses 17 through 38, it, it follows the general form of something seen elsewhere in Scripture. It's the farewell address of a loved leader imparting encouragement with instructions attached. Jacob and Joseph and Moses gave speeches like this. So did Joshua and Samuel and David. Jesus himself spoke this way in the upper room on the night he was betrayed. Such a parting speech is a kind gift of good news paired with an authoritative charge. In the same way, Paul's speech is doing both things as he prepares the Ephesian elders for life and ministry in his absence, since he knows, as he says in verse 25, that they won't see his face again. Now, two weeks ago, Philip preached on Paul's looking backwards over his own ministry in verses 17 through 21. Last week, we heard Paul looking forward to his future ministry in Jerusalem, and that was in verses 22 through 24. And in both of those passages, Paul is talking about himself, not to brag, but because he's giving the elders a model for their own ministry. He, he aims for them to be brave and eager in their calling because they value Jesus above their own lives like he does. He longs for them to be people of consistent character and empowered by the Holy Spirit to work without fear. He, he's hoping that these elders will humbly use the authority that has been entrusted to them by Christ to sincerely serve God's people, even if that means difficulty for them, even if it's going through trials. He refers to these three years that he has been with them. And in that time, Paul himself was steadfast in his preaching that profitable message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. For three years he did that. And now these elders are going to have to follow his example, ministering this gospel to those both inside and outside the church. But here in verses 25 and following, Paul shifts his focus. He's speaking less about his own ministry and, and telling these elders what they themselves must do when he is gone. This is, in other words, Paul passing the baton to the Ephesian elders, to those who are going to run the race in Ephesus without him. Because Jesus is leading Paul elsewhere. But now the ministry that remains in Ephesus, Jesus is entrusting to these men. And as I was telling the kids, Jesus is deeply invested in the work that remains in Ephesus because the believers there as Paul says in verse 28, are part of God's church. A, a word that is actually held in parallel with the word flock in the same verse. The elders, in other words, Paul is saying, are by the appointment of the Holy Spirit overseers of the flock. That is, they are shepherds looking out for the sheep. Now that's not to say the sheep of the flock belong to the shepherds. They don't. 
Look at the end of verse 28. This is the church, the flock of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The sheep under care of these shepherds are the blood-bought lambs of God. They are precious to him, valued by him, ransomed by his own blood that he poured out in love for them. And so like a nanny or a camp counselor being entrusted with beloved children who belong to their mother or father, these, these elders ought to care well for the children of God that are entrusted to them. And Paul is giving them their instructions on how they are supposed to do that. But as we today, as we listen over their shoulder, as it were, to Paul's parting words, it is important for us to recognize that his words to elders then remain relevant for elders here and now. After all, there are no apostles among us here either, but there are, there are, there's you. You are Jesus's blood-bought lambs. Just like the Ephesians. And so Paul's instructions for elders then and now are supposed to inform how our ministry to God's people, to you, ought to look in Jesus's church today. But I actually hope that you'll see a little more than that. Uh, I hope that you'll see and embrace the fact that these instructions for elders have implications for you too, even if you're not an elder. If you are a part of God's flock, of his church, then Paul's parting words mean something for you too. Because you might not be an elder, but you need to know the difference between a faithful elder and one who is leading you astray. You need to know the difference between one who is giving you what you need and one who is keeping it from you. And so as elders... And just as part of his church, let's dig into this passage, asking this first big question. What does the flock of God need? What does the flock need? Well, we see two broad answers that elsewhere get broken down into many smaller pieces. But generally speaking, in this passage, we see the flock first needs the ministry of the word. The flock needs the ministry of the word. Second, and flowing from the word, the flock needs a ministry of work. The flock needs a ministry of work. A ministry of the word that produces a ministry of work, that's what God's people need. And so let's explore each one of those in turn, starting with the ministry of the word. Now, Paul's focus on the centrality of God's word for the elders' work it runs all throughout this passage, all throughout the New Testament, really. But here, I want you to notice a couple of things about the ministry of the Word. First, the people need the whole Word. They need the whole Word. And, and if the people are given the whole Word, it, it has two effects. The Word builds up, and the Word gives something. We'll, we'll come to that later. But, but look in verse 27 to see how the people need the whole word. Paul says, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, now hold that idea, the whole counsel of God, hold that idea together with what Paul says in verse 25 about proclaiming the kingdom. 
That is to say, Paul, as he has been among them, has been speaking the good news about the kingdom of God. That what, what God promised throughout the Old Testament, he has accomplished in the person and work of his son, Jesus. The Christ died and rose again and ascended to heaven to begin his reign as king over God's kingdom. That's the message that Paul has been preaching. And that's the word that God's people need to keep hearing. Our king died and rose and is coming again to restore God's reign, his rule over everything. And so the elders need to keep proclaiming that same singular message. But if that is the singular message that we need, that is not to say that the message is simple or small or narrow. It's not shallow or just limited to one topic. On the contrary, because there are so many facets, like a beautiful diamond, so many facets to this message of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul has been careful to declare to them the whole counsel of God. In other words, he has not held back anything God has revealed to his people. And so I, I want you to think about what that must mean. Think about what Paul writes elsewhere, because that's going to help us grasp what it must mean to preach the whole counsel of God. It, it means Paul talked about the good news and the bad news of sin. He talked about how God created all things good in the beginning. And he talked about why it all went wrong because of humanity's rebellion against God. But Paul talked about the realities of evil outside of us. And he also talked about the realities of evil that's active in us. He talked about us being victims and also victimizers who hurt others with our actions. He, he talked about God's sovereignty over every single little thing. And he talked about how we are responsible for every thought and word and deed. He, he talked about God's unstoppable purposes to bless his people. And how he uses suffering to accomplish those purposes. He talked about God healing. He talked about God not healing. He talked about facing death with confidence when God doesn't heal. He talked about God's gracious work on our behalf, and he talked about how important our work actually is within the kingdom of God. He, he proclaimed both salvation to those who believe and, and God's wrath against those who reject God's king and kingdom. Paul, throughout his ministry, did not hold back anything from what God said because he knew people needed to hear it. People needed to hear all of it. And, and just as Paul proclaimed all of this, both the glorious parts that we love hearing about and those heavy and uncomfortable parts that we wrestle with. Because he proclaimed all of this, the elders who minister in his absence must not hold back anything either. Whatever God has told us in His Word, it is all for His glory and for our good. And so it needs to be said. 
You know that today there are some who want to proclaim the kingdom of God and yet leave out parts. Like Thomas Jefferson's Bible, if you've ever seen that. He, he cut and pasted out the parts that he just thought were off. But people today do the same thing. They cut and paste, keeping what they think is good while removing what they think is outdated or maybe offensive. They, they talk about God being loving, but they don't want to talk about His justice. They'll focus on His faithfulness, but ignore His call on us to persevere. Grace gets proclaimed, but obedience does not. Jesus is sold as the Savior of sinners but not as a king who commands. They, they say that the Lord was a good teacher for his time, but not that he's still today the smartest person in any room. That's why the elders here believe that it is our primary job to give you every word that comes from God's mouth because it is, it is the very bread that strengthens you. It is the spiritual milk that causes God's lambs to grow up big and strong in their salvation. Yes, this word confronts our sin and it does so strongly. His word leaves us without any excuse for ourselves and without any hope in ourselves. But his whole message to us that is most fully revealed in the person of his son Jesus shows us just what kind of a God this God is. He is the God of all grace and comfort. He is the God who comes to those who are not looking for Him, who saves His enemies and turns them into His children through His Son's faithful work. Hearing that whole word is exactly what you and I need. And that means that you... You need to receive that whole word as it comes. That, that is not always an easy thing. God says hard things to us. But you understand, that's why He's also given you elders who will say those hard things to you with love and sincerity. I have seen elders here in this church admonish members with tears like Paul's. It's not because they wanted to control somebody, but it's because their heart was breaking to see one of God's precious sheep wandering into the wilderness. But on the other hand, I've also seen the joy of elders here when God's word is spoken and you receive it with joy and try to walk in it by the power that God provides. When God's people are given the whole word that they need, I want you to notice what happens. Look at verse 32. When the word of His grace is given, that word is able to build you up, and that word is able to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Look, th this word that we proclaim, this word is what is able to build you up. In other words, what sin and separation from God tore down in your life. His Word is able to repair and to restore. Where sin deceives and sin debilitates us, 
God's Word guides and gives help. Whether God is building up your confidence in Christ and assuring you of your salvation, or, or He's teaching you how to work out your salvation through good works, either way, the Word is how He's going to do that. Maybe you need wisdom for your relationships. Or maybe you need encouragement in your loneliness. The Word is how He's going to do that. By His Word, those who are simple become wise. Through His Word, the Spirit illumines our hearts, replacing fear with courage and, and causes us to become more and more like Jesus. These things don't come from our efforts or our imaginations. They come from God's Word. But God's Word does more. Look, Paul says the Word of God's grace is able to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He, uh, all those who are sanctified, he, he's talking about all those whom God is saving for Himself, setting apart for Himself as holy and belonging to Him. But, but how can the Word give you this inheritance? This wealth that is coming to the people of God. How can that be? I think it's because as Paul says elsewhere, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. This Word that we hear and believe, think about the power it has. God spoke in the beginning and all things were created by His Word. Out of nothing. God spoke through Ezekiel's mouth. God speaking through Ezekiel's mouth caused a valley of dry bones to become a living army of flesh and blood and breath. Jesus spoke to dead for four days Lazarus and he walked out of the tomb. And God's word spoken to you is what brought you out of darkness and into His light as you heard and believed and came into Him. And He says that it is through that that you are forgiven and cleansed and adopted as His own. That is who you are by faith in Christ and by believing God's promises to you in Him. To you belongs Christ and all of His benefits, both now and in the age to come, when the inheritance arrives. That is what His Word is able to do for you as you simply believe it. These two effects of building up and giving the inheritance, it happens. It happens because behind the Word of God is God Himself working to bless His people, to grow them up in their salvation, to give them what He has been planning to give them since before the earth was made. And so there is a lot at stake here. If elders fail to feed God's flock with the whole counsel of God, then they will be guilty of what Paul says he was innocent, the, the blood of those under his care. And for a shepherd to be found with the blood of his master's lambs on his hands, I shudder to think. 
how much more then will those who held back God's Word from God's people have to give an account for what they did, for what they said, for what they didn't say? And that's why here we seek to preach through books of the Bible and we have weekly Bible studies and, and we get the kids into God's Word in their classes because we need to be people of the Word. Our God speaks and we listen. He pours out wisdom from His mouth and we eat it like honey. He feeds us from uh, with the living Word and we are filled by Him. And so we aren't to be shrinking back from anything, but... But he says we are to heed all of it, even if we have to wrestle with it and ask, what on earth? What on earth does this mean? I don't understand. We have to engage it. Because he might say some hard things to us, but who else? Who else has the words of life? And so faithful elders will give God's people the the first thing they need. They will minister the whole Word of God to His flock. But notice that Paul turns his attention to something else that the flock needs in verses 33 through 35. He says they need a ministry of work, which is produced by and flows from the ministry of the Word. Look in those verses briefly. Paul reminds them once more about how he was with them. They he, they they knew for a fact that he was not after anyone's possessions. He worked with his own hands to provide for himself and those who were with him, he says. So so that he would not be a burden to the believers in Ephesus. Un, that's very much unlike the false teachers who who asked for the money up front. Uh, I can give you something good, but you have to give me something good first. Now elsewhere, the, the Lord had made it clear that his witnesses, his servants were permitted to receive an income. And, and I thank him for that. And I thank you for that. But nonetheless, Paul did not usually avail himself of this right, he says, not wanting to be a burden to the churches. And, and some here see, they hear Paul saying that he would like the Ephesian elders to, to take the same attitudes about financial support, perhaps because the other members of the church weren't very well off. That, that could be why he refers to them as weak. But there is something more here, I think. Because remembering this specific word of Jesus that, that he quotes, that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think Paul is telling the elders that this, this life that we have in Christ, this whole life, is meant to be spent doing good to others. God is calling them to work in a way as to be a blessing to others. You know that same idea runs all throughout the Scriptures. But as he is speaking to those who are stronger in the faith, Paul is saying that this others-oriented work of love and service, it ought to begin with the elders. They are to be examples to the flock of this kind of beautiful life. And, and I have to say, I am deeply thankful to see such hard-working elders among us. I, I get to see a lot that you don't get to see. I get to see the elders doing the work of shepherding, and it is beautiful. But this instruction for elders, it goes beyond the elders. It, it really is for the whole church because Jesus 
is calling all of us toward lives typified by generosity, uh, by a willingness to work hard so that someone else, someone else can benefit. As we grow in God's Word and mature in Christ, we must be about this work of giving ourselves to others. But that's where, again, I, I, by God's grace, I see this in so many of you. I see it in our deacons who, who work behind the scenes taking care of people and taking care of this old building. I, I see it in our Sunday school teachers and in and, and all those who do a million things all throughout the week. I see so many of you not only believing the words of Jesus, but obeying the words of Jesus, giving generously of your time and money and energy, even though, I mean, let's be honest, even though it kind of feels like death sometimes. But you're willing to die so that someone else can live. You're willing to to feel weakness in yourself so that strength can be imparted to others as Christ works through you. As one pastor wrote, this does not mean that that there's anything wrong with receiving gifts or, or even receiving charity. It's just that if gifts are a blessing, as they can be, the act of giving itself is also a blessing. Now, now some of you might not be in a season to give financially. Some of you might not be there. Some of you might be there. Some of you are in a season of strength where you can give of yourself to others. Some of you are in a season of weakness when you need the strength of your brothers and sisters to carry you along physically, emotionally, spiritually, and that's okay. Christ has put us together in His body to depend on Him and to depend on each other. And so I just want to say to you that wherever you are, keep going. Keep on guard against covetousness, against envying one another's lives and things and trying to grasp at things or, and living and working only for yourself. And keep letting God's Word guide you into the work of living a generous life, believing that Jesus says that's blessed. Because work, too, is a part of this ministry that God has given His people in this world. And so what do God's people need? We need the ministry of the whole Word that produces a ministry of work. But, but here, just so very briefly, I, I want to ask that second big question. Why is this ministry of the Word and work so necessary? Well, really, there are two reasons. Both ministries are necessary because wolves are real and we are weak. Look at verses 28 through 30. Paul is urging the elders to pay attention to themselves and the flock because after he leaves, fierce wolves will come in to attack the flock from the outside. And there's a threat from the inside too. From inside the church itself will arise dangerous, I would say wolfish men. I actually wonder if Paul has his old self in mind when he speaks about the fierce wolves not sparing the flock. Remember, when he was Saul, before the Lord had called him, 
He himself was a violent persecutor of God's people. He was a wolf. And he knows that such men remain in the world. He has felt their fierce, angry words himself, and he has felt too the stones that they threw at his body to kill him. Those wolves are still around today. But notice too the danger that comes from inside the church. From inside arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Can you hear there the connection to the ministry of the word? Not only are there men who introduce their own ideas into the church, but most often they take God's word itself and they twist it. They distort it making it say something that God never said. Sometimes they are twisting it toward a kind of legalism. Other times they are twisting it toward a sort of license that just rejects God's calls to obedience. And as one wise pastor said, you never fall into the ditch that you're running away from. But whether it's falling off onto the right or falling off onto the left, either distortion is drawing you away from Jesus to follow something or someone else. And so there is a warning here. As you yourselves know, there are faithful shepherds and there are fierce wolves dressed like sheep. And on our own, it's hard to tell the difference because appearances can be so deceptive. In our weakness, we are prone to believe lies over the truth, to believe what we want to be true over what is actually true. We are vulnerable to being deceived by others, but what is worse, what is worse is that our own hearts are deceptive so that we are capable of deceiving ourselves. I've never known anybody, I've never known anybody to admit that they are holding on to a lie. They have usually convinced themselves that it is the truth. And so how will you recognize? How will you recognize the one who will help you versus the one who cares nothing about you as long as you give them the reputation or the wealth that they want? How will you be protected from yourself when you are prone to believe a lie over the truth? It's the Word. The ministry of the whole Word is itself protection. The same Word that gave life to God's lambs is the Word that keeps them safe. So pay careful attention. Be alert, Paul says, because comparing what you hear from anybody to what God actually says is going to help you recognize the truth from the lie, the shepherd from the wolf. You get just a little peek in this passage about what it looks like when a faithful shepherd and sheep under his care truly know and love each other. The, the tears and the kisses at Paul's parting from these elders are really the evidence of that love. And I wish we had time to consider that even with the promise of eternity together, this earthly goodbye was still something to be lamented. Uh, such goodbyes are always hard. But we need to close with this. All of this. A ministry of the whole word that produces a ministry of works 
and protects the flock of God while building it up and giving it the inheritance God purposes for His people. All of that. How on earth can it be accomplished? This work is massive in scope and it's heavy with the significance of eternity. This ministry of caring for Jesus' blood-bought lambs. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul asks. And I think that they were all feeling that question about how all of this could be accomplished, which is why Paul, after he said all of these things, knelt down and he prayed with them all. The, the church throughout history has understood that this ministry of the word that produces a ministry of work has always only been possible by the powerful working of God. He is not dependent on us, but we are dependent on Him. And so we pray and we work to fulfill this ministry of the Word here with you. And we praise God as we see Him answering our prayers. But you know, I, I also praise Him because I know that you are praying also. You are, are asking God to work in the elders here and through the elders here so that this little part of God's flock grows in strength and numbers and in holiness. That is what we ultimately need God Himself to do. But because He is doing that very thing here and now among us through His Word, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Amen. Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father, we do praise You for the reality that You are a God who speaks. Father, we come to You now asking that You would continue to bless us through Your Word as Your Spirit takes what is Yours and applies it to us to strengthen us and to protect us. Father, we ask now as Your people, as Your blood-bought lambs, that You would continue this good work that we might be people of the Word, growing up in strength and hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask it in His name and for His sake. Amen.